Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. One of my favorite parts of the, of the Christmas season is, is the, the songs, is singing the, Christ, the hymns of Christmas, uh, especially the ones that have stood the test of time. You know, specifically, I think of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, listening to that on the way in this morning. Um, o Holy Night has the line that's one of my favorite lyrics of all time that just says, he knows our need, our weakness is no stranger. I love that line. You know, the Christmas hymns are often so full of rich theology and hope. And it's amazing that a season with so many good songs has produced so many bad movies. I mean, there's an entire channel devoted to bad Christmas movies called Hallmark. I don't know if you've heard of it. You know, uh, Wish for Christmas, Christmas Encore. Um, Tell you what, Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Christmas at Pemberley Manor just gets me every year. (laughs) Just so, so many bad movies. Uh, (laughs) I threw that in for Justin because that's his favorite movie of all time. And so (laughs) I'm just kidding about Home Alone. The real reason why Justin's going to Walpole is because we had a dispute about Home Alone. (laughs) That's the the behind the scenes story. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when I learn the backstory to a song, it just, it gives me a much deeper appreciation for that song. There's actually been some Christmas songs that I was like, yeah, they're all right. But then when I heard the story behind them, they kind of quickly become uh, more of one of my favorites. And one of them uh, is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. So he wrote this hymn, uh, this poem on Christmas Day, 1863. But leading up to that day, he had really had two terrible years. So in 1861, his wife passed away tragically. And it shook him so much that he had to be institutionalized. It rocked his world, as you might expect. And then in March of 1863, his oldest son enlisted in the Civil War, took a train from Boston, and kind of went to fight without telling him. And later that year, his son was uh, severely wounded in battle and almost lost his life. So on Christmas Day, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow finds himself a 57-year-old widowed father of six whose son is sitting in a hospital bed critically wounded. And everywhere he goes on that Christmas day, he hears Christmas bells. Christmas bells, ringing and proclaiming, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the whole thing just seemed off to him. Every time the bells were ringing, it felt like a mockery of his situation. How on earth could these bells be going out, proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill to men, when my life and my country and everything around me appears to be falling apart? So he wrote a poem on Christmas Day to process his feelings like writers do. And this is how the song goes. He starts off, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, of wild and sweet, the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
And I thought of how, as the days had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sounds, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Really, before I read the last stanza, I mean, how appropriate does even that still maybe even feel today? You know, who hasn't felt almost that weight of despair when you look at the world around you? You know, when look at, you know, Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, our current political climate, not to mention just the stuff that's going on in each and every one of our lives, it just seems like we're surrounded by brokenness, does it not? And who hasn't felt the despair and loss of hope of thinking, peace on earth, goodwill to men? Seems like a pipe dream. Seems to almost be mocking me right now. But listen to his last verse. This is what he says. He goes, then then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What a declaration of hope. You know, sometimes I think when, you, when you're using, you know, dramatic stories and illustrations, they can kind of almost have the reverse effect of what you're hoping for. You'll put something up and people will be like, well, well good for them, but I could never do that. Good for them. Uh, but with this one, I don't think that's the case. Because who, who would not want a faith that resilient? Who would not want a secure hope that strong where in spite of everything going around, you can still say, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. This idea that the message and the truth of peace on earth, goodwill to men, that the story of Jesus is more real and is more deep and is stronger and truer than what we see around us. Who would not want that? And very few of us are going to find ourselves in a place of despair that was as deep as Longfellow's was on that Christmas day. But I think most of us, and even followers of Jesus a lot of times, find ourselves in a constant search for peace. We find ourselves there. Have you recently felt yourself thinking some version of, I I can't put my finger on it, but just something feels like it's missing in my life? Or, and I just have this feeling of discontentment and restlessness. Just feel like there's something I'm missing, you know. Maybe I'm not happy. I just don't like myself right now. You know, or maybe you have inner turmoil from constant conflict. All of those things can be symptoms of a lack of peace, a lack of experiencing peace. But guys, listen to, listen to this good news. Listen to this good news. This is what Jesus said. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So this is the second Sunday in Advent and this week's theme is peace. And so last week we looked at hope and we saw how biblical hope is so much deeper than how we usually kind of normally use the word. Biblical hope, we defined it last week as waiting for God to bring about the good in our lives. 
It chooses to wait expectantly for God to bring his goodness to bear in our future, regardless of how dark our circumstances are. So that's hope. And peace is similar in that when the Bible talks about peace, it's often much deeper and a much stronger word than how we're used to using it. Because biblical peace involves more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something better in its place. And so the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which probably some of you are familiar, you've heard that term before. And in the next part of how I'm going to explain it, I definitely have to credit uh, the Bible Project because they, I think they're some of the best at taking a key word or a theme and tracing it throughout the scriptures and helping you fully understand it. And so they have really helped me in, in, in some of this and especially with the word peace or shalom. Because the most basic meaning of shalom is for something to be complete or whole. So think of, uh, it's used sometimes to talk about a stone that is perfect, perfectly whole, no chips, nor cracks. That stone is said to be shalom because it's complete or whole. It can refer to a completed brick wall where there's no gaps in it. Everything's put together and is, it is complete, it is whole, it is the way it should be. It's used for things that are often complex with a lot of pieces that are also in a state of completeness and wholeness, which is why this word is often used to talk about someone's life or well-being, right? Because all of our lives are complex. They're full of relationships, full of moving parts, if you will, and if any one of those things break, break down or out of alignment, one way to think of that is the scriptures say that means that your shalom has broken down. Your peace has broken down. There are things that need to be restored. Things are not as they should be. And uh, peace or shalom, it can also be used as a verb. You know, speaking about the act of restoring something or making it complete. So for example, in the Old Testament, King Solomon, he was said to have brought shalom or completeness uh, to the temple when he finished building it. In Proverbs, when someone heals a broken relationship, it says that they bring about shalom or peace. When two nations or two kings make shalom in the Bible, they do more than just stop fighting. It's more than just a ceasefire. What happens is they start working together for each other's good. That is what this word peace is getting at, which brings us to Jesus, which brings us to Jesus. And one key prophecy about the Messiah is that he would be the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, a future king was promised who would one day bring shalom. All wrongs would be made right, everything broken would be restored. Which is why when Jesus was born and the angels sang to the shepherds, they proclaimed Jesus as the arrival of peace. Listen to what it says in Luke 2.14. This is the angel singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus was proclaimed as the arrival of peace. And the writers of the New Testament over and over connect the work of Jesus to the work of creating peace. You know, Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, made a way for peace between sinful humans 
and a sinless, perfect God. Jesus made a way for us to be reconciled, made a way for our relationship with God to be made whole. Listen to what it says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul goes and talks about how not only are we able to have peace with our relationship with God, but Jesus creates peace with each other and how he breaks down, in this case, in Ephesians, you know, ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, whatever gets in the way of people. It says this, talking about Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing walls of hostility. Jesus not only creates peace, he is our peace. Which kind of here's my question, though, that I want us to wrestle with. If this is true, which it is, if this is all true, then why does it at times feel like we experience so little of it? Why does it feel like at times we experience so little peace? Or maybe another way you could say it would be, how then do we experience this peace that Jesus promises? You know, how did Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, when surrounded by brokenness, frustration, unmet expectations, and an uncertain future, how was he able to rise above it and write that final stanza? How, how was he able to do it? And I believe that Isaiah 26.3 holds part of the key. This is what it says. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26.3, this is, this is one of my, I'd say, life anchor verses. One that I find myself going back to over and over again. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And a few of the things that I notice about this verse is that God is the one who brings peace, is the keeper of peace says, you, this is talking about God, keep him in perfect peace. And, and this is a picture of something being guarded, as if God is the one who is guarding our peace, as if he is the one that is keeping us and our peace is relying on his strength, not our emotions. It says, you keep him in perfect peace. And when it says perfect peace, one of the ways that writers of the scriptures highlight something is they repeat it. You know, they couldn't, they didn't write in caps, it wasn't bold. So this really says, you keep him in peace, peace. The way they emphasize something is repetition. You keep him in perfect peace or peace, peace. Whose minds are stayed on you. Those who actively trust in Jesus can and will be kept in perfect peace. Now that does not mean though that all of our situations will feel peaceful. There's a very big difference. And I always think of the story of Jesus and Peter. When, G when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and he wants to go out to him. Um, Peter sees Jesus walking in the water and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he does. And here's what happens. Peter gets out of the boat he starts walking on the water to Jesus, and then this happens. It says, but when he, being Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of him. 
So amidst this storm, amidst all the chaos around him, Peter was experiencing peace because he was keeping his eyes on Jesus. He steps out and is looking at Jesus. In one sense, he's able to do the impossible because his eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's able to walk on the water. He's able to experience real trust in a situation that would seem impossible. But then it says, Peter saw the wind and became afraid. And in order for Peter to see the wind, it meant that he had to take his eyes off of Jesus. He had to take his eyes off of Jesus and he started to notice everything that was going on around him. And it says he saw it and he got afraid, he got terrified, and he began to sink. But what I love in this moment was that Jesus didn't look at him and just watch him drown and been like, sorry man, you should have had more faith. <laughs> Tough for you. I mean, this, this is gonna be a good lesson for everybody else when we write the Bible. That's not what happened. It says he, still in faith, cried out, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand immediately and grabbed him and saved him. I find that to be such good news for the times when my faith is not the way I want it to be. When I take my eyes off of Jesus, when I get afraid, when I fail to believe the promises of scripture, all of those things, he's always there. Always there waiting for us to just call back up to him with Lord save me. He doesn't pause, he doesn't hesitate, he doesn't make him gasp long enough to really learn his lesson. He reaches down, he grabs him, and he saves him. It is possible to experience true peace. Peace, peace. The type of peace that Paul says passes all understanding when our eyes, our hope, our faith are stayed on the Prince of Peace. So my question for you is, are your eyes on Jesus? Are your eyes on Jesus? And there's so many things that can take our eyes off of Jesus and rob us of our peace. You know, sometimes Jesus will come in and calm the storms of our lives. Other times, he walks with us in these storms. But I was thinking there are really four, there are more, but four big things that can help take our eyes off Jesus. And the first is hardships. Hardships and struggles can help us, just like Peter, take our eyes off of Jesus. I've probably talked to more people in the last three weeks that are going through difficult things, that are experiencing brokenness, that lives are getting turned upside down, than I have the entire year combined. There's something about this time of year where things get brought up, and I know a lot of you are going through some hard stuff and are experiencing some real difficult things. I want to let you know is that Jesus has not abandoned you. He has not. Keep your eyes on him. His promise of perfect peace is still available to you. But there is also some of us whose eyes are not on Jesus, not because of difficulty, but ironically because of prosperity. Prosperity can take our eyes off of Jesus just as much as difficulty. I'm always reminded when Israel got a chance to finally go into the promised land, they're given this warning. God there, there said, they were told, be careful not to forget the Lord your God when you are in times of plenty. When your houses are built, when your bank account is full, when you are in prosperity. Because that can shift the center of our hope. Busyness. Busyness can take our eyes off of Jesus because you're just scattered and frazzled and there's no time to focus on him. And distraction, you know, very similar. But despite what you may think, you can't focus on two things at once. And if you were here last week, as you saw the, the gorilla video, 
It's amazing what you can miss when something is designed to tear your attention away from something else. This is, like I said, been one of my anchor verses. And I'll pray, Lord, help me do this. Help me keep my mind stayed on you because I trust in you. Because this is a promise that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So how do we do this? One way is through prayer. One way is through engaging God in prayer. And if you've been following along with the, the 40 days of prayer our church has been doing, maybe you've been using the, uh, the, the prayer wheel or the prayer app, I hope that's helped you take some time to focus on, on Jesus. Another way is through regularly spending time in his word, getting encouraged by other Christians. But just think right now, what is stealing your peace? Is it busyness, distraction, the pursuit of prosperity, difficult times? You know, that, that, that feeling I pointed to right in the beginning, that feeling that something isn't quite right, that feeling of restlessness, incompleteness, that is something only God can fill. Only God can bring wholeness, completeness, Shalom to our lives. Which is why it is such good news that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. His arrival is pronounced as peace. And he said, these things I say to you so that in me you may have peace. If you don't know what to do and you're stuck and you're lacking peace, you can just cry out like Peter. Lord, save me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I lack peace without you. And he's going to grab you. He's not going to let you drown. You might feel like it. It might feel like things are overwhelming. But he was always there. If we keep our eyes on him, we are able to have real true peace, even in the midst of a storm. We're going we're gonna to end with a song. Uh, we've got two songs. But one of the songs we're going to end with is uh, called God, I Look to You. God, I look to you. And I, I think it would be appropriate if we use this as a, as a prayer. As a prayer of God, help us look to you. Help us keep our eyes on you. Whether you know, you're in the storm and you're struggling, whether you've been dulled by prosperity, whether you have been just strangled by busyness, whatever it is, Jesus is wanting to truly be your peace. You know, because Henry Wadsworth Longford, he was right. He was right in that final stanza. That the truth of Christmas, the truth of Jesus is the only thing that is more loud and more deep and more real and more secure to handle real life. Everything else falls short, is flat, is a mirage. But this is true. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.